You're listening to Comedy Central. October 18, 2018. From Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York, this is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. is a four-time Formula One world champion. Lewis Hamilton is here, everybody! That's right. He's the only man in the world who can drive almost as fast as a New York taxi. But first, <laughs> let's catch up on today's headlines. Let's kick it off with sports. The Boston Red Sox are on the road to the World Series. And they got a helping hand last night from the opposing team's fans. Houston Chronicle reports an Astros fan says he did not interfere with Jose Altuve's potential tying home run in Game 4 of the AL Championship Series. Last night, Astros fan Troy Caldwell in orange was nearby when Mookie Betts of the Red Sox jumped to catch a long fly by Altuve, but it bounced off his glove. The umpire ruled fan interference and called the potential two-run homer an out. The Astros needed that two-run homer. The final score was eight to six to the Red Sox. Okay. Okay, first of all, I don't think it's fair to call it fan interference, all right? The ball was coming right at him, all right? What is he supposed to do, just sit there, be like, I hope he catches it, I hope he catches it. Ah! He didn't catch it, he didn't catch it. Like, to be honest, I don't blame the fan, I blame baseball. Why would you put your fans in a position to affect the score of the game? There's a reason this doesn't happen in any other sport. Imagine the problems if basketball had rimside seats, huh? <laughs> it's like one second on the clock, Steph Curry takes the game-winning shot, and then the fan is like, nah. <laughs> like this poor fan, man. He just wanted to take a baseball home. I get it. I mean, the last time I was at a Mets game, I got myself a baseball, and I still keep it at home. You know, I give him water and rice every few days. <laughs> I understand. But let's move on to some science news. Stephen Hawking was one of the most brilliant theoretical physicists alive. And thanks to his new book, he's also one of the most brilliant theoretical physicists not alive. Late physicist Stephen Hawking is now posthumously providing his own brief answers to the big questions in his final book. Hawking writes, there is no God, but the laws of nature can explain everything. He says that intelligent alien life is out there and that time travel, at least into the past, is actually possible. Wow. Those are some big claims, man. And I'm not saying he's right or wrong, but he also predicted that Pete and Ariana would make it, so... <laughs> you tell me. And I, you gotta admit, him, him saying what he said is pretty gangster, right? Because, I mean, he's saying there's no God right before he dies? <laughs> no, because it's easy to say there's no God when you're young, but he was like two minutes from finding out. That's gangsta. Like, for all he knows, he could die and then show up in heaven and God will be like, so, Stephen Hawking. <laughs> Can I have your autograph? I'm a big fan, I'm a big fan, man. <laughs> but it's just great news that uh, time travel is possible. I mean, that's what Stephen Hawking says. You can travel in time back to the past. I hope that he's right and I hope it happens soon. Because if I could go back in time, I would go back to right before the Titanic hit the iceberg, right? So that I could be there to say, hey, Rose, don't throw the diamond, throw it at me and I catch the diamond. <laughs> 
And then I get a free diamond. Yes! <laughs> In other news, Kleenex is changing the name of their man-sized tissue box. Yes, after people complained that it was sexist. Uh, so I guess now they're gonna change it to, I don't know, my guess is jerk-off size. Um, <laughs> so I'm more honest. And... And I, I completely agree with this because ladies can have boogers just as big as men, so it's a good name change. <laughs> Honestly, the only time I need a man-sized Kleenex is when I'm watching a sad movie, like Titanic. You know, I just sit there like, that poor diamond just getting thrown away. <laughs> All right, let's move on to our top story. As you know, we're a few weeks away from the scariest, spookiest time of the year. The midterm elections. <laughs> 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 I'm gonna go as millions of illegal votes. Anyway, uh, the midterms are in 19 days. And this year, this year, every single vote counts. But there are a few states that are looking to change that. As the midterm elections rapidly approach, there's been a rash of voter identification conflicts in states across the country. Laws across the U.S. are being passed to make it harder not easier to vote. Since the 2016 election, nine states with Republican state legislatures have passed laws restricting the vote. We've seen time and time again, when Republicans can't win outright as far as votes, then they resort to what many would call cheating. Ah, come on, Republicans. Instead of trying to appeal to diverse voters, you just rather try and block their votes, huh? It's like being a contestant on Jeopardy, and instead of trying to win by being the smartest person, you just spend all your time tasing your competition. <laughs> and the worst part is that Alex Trebek probably wouldn't help you. You'd be like, ah! Alex would be like, I'm sorry, we were looking for what is ah? <laughs> now, voter suppression. Voter suppression is an issue all over the United States. And right now, one of the most prominent examples is in Georgia. You see, the governor's race is neck and neck. You've got Stacey Abrams, who could become the first black female governor ever, and you've got Republican... <laughs> right. And you've got... And you've got Republican Brian Kemp, who would become the first white governor named Brian Kemp <laughs> in Georgia, I think. <laughs> and because the race is so close, something like this could make all the difference. The Associated Press reports that ahead of this historic election, more than 53,000 Georgia residents have had their registrations put on hold thanks to a policy that requires their applications to precisely match information from other state agencies. Now, basically, if your voter registration doesn't match up exactly with your DMV or Social Security information, your registration is put on hold, and you may not be able to vote. We're not talking about major details like your address. We're talking about simple misspellings, a rogue hyphen, a nickname on one form, and your full name on another. Okay, now, I think this is just bullshit, right? You're telling me that some people won't get to vote just because their voter name doesn't exactly match their name on file? Like, it's funny how this happens with voting, but it never stops the IRS, yeah? <laughs> the IRS is never like, oh, we had Trevok Noah. I guess you don't have to pay taxes this year. No, they'll be like, hey, Trevor Noah, you misspelled your name, dumbass, and you owe us 20 grand. <laughs> and because Georgia is currently run by Republicans, I'll give you one guess as to which type of people had their voter registrations put on hold. Georgia's population is approximately 32% black, but the list of voter registrations on hold is nearly 70% black. <laughs> well, well, well. <laughs> My old friend racism. <laughs> I've been expecting you. <laughs> isn't, it, isn't it interesting? 
Isn't it interesting how every time Republicans create a voting restriction, it just so happens to disproportionately affect people of the brown brown? Hmm? <laughs> and, and I'm not gonna lie, it's very slick. Yeah, because on the surface, it always seems legitimate, yeah? A hundred years ago, the argument was, nothing personal, we can't let people vote if they don't know how to read. And black people were like, but learning to read was illegal. They're like, oh, ironic, look at that. <laughs> and now today, it's like, how can we trust that it's really you if the names aren't exactly the same? And black people are like, yeah, but white people never spell my name right. Well, that's too bad, Derek. It's like, <laughs> yo, it's, it's Derek. The truth is, like, let's be honest. Let's be honest. You don't have to say who you're targeting to target someone. You just have to know which rules are likely to hit them the most, right? Like, if I was trying to block white people at the voting booth, I wouldn't need to say, no white people are allowed. I'd just be like, sorry, no pumpkin spice lattes in the voting booth. <laughs> I'm sorry, folks. I'm sorry, folks. You got, yeah, you got to go home. I'm so sorry, everybody. <laughs> so sorry, everybody. Go home, go home. No, Derek, you're good. Come on in, man, come on in. <laughs> And what makes this Georgia situation extra shady, extra, extra shady, is who's in charge of allowing people to vote. Kemp never stepped down as the current Secretary of State, which means he is the person overseeing the upcoming election. And as the current Secretary of State, he's responsible for elections and voter registration. Well, well, well. <laughs> it appears there's something wrong with my chair. <laughs> Come on, guys, really? The guy in charge of the election is also running the election. Like, that is some African-level shit right there. <laughs> We're used to that all the time on the continent. Someone will be like, okay, now that everyone has voted, uh, I'm going to take the ballots into the other room, and when I come back, I'll tell you how I won. I mean, who won? I'll tell you who won. <laughs> and now... And now, look, the truth is... The truth is, if you ask Kemp He'll say that the registration blocking isn't happening because these people are black, and it's not happening because he's in charge. He's gonna say it's happening because most people who filled out their forms wrong just happen to be black. Because you see, white people fill out forms like this, and black people fill out forms like this. <laughs> and look, we can, we can go back and forth on this all day, right? But I, I think I know how to solve this. This is what I think we should do. Every black person in America needs to register as a Republican. Right? No, hear me out, hear me out. Just say you're gonna vote red. You don't have to do it. Just be like, I'm a Republican. When you go and vote, you can do whatever you want. When you come out, they ask you who you voted for, just be like, yo, snitches get stitches. That's all you do. <laughs> That's all you do. And I guarantee you, I guarantee you, if the GOP thinks that black people are voting for them, they will make sure that your vote counts. They're gonna be waving Trayvons into the voting booth like a third base coach. <laughs> and if you don't believe me, if you don't believe me, just look at Kanye West. Yeah. Before him, before him, Republicans were like, black people, just do your, your job, shut up and dribble. But all he had to do was put on a MAGA hat and they let him into the White House to yell at the president about time travel in the Oval Office. <laughs> so if it worked for Kanye West, it'll work for you. We'll be right back. <laughs> Welcome back to The Daily Show. My guest tonight is a four-time Formula One world champion. Please welcome Lewis Hamilton. <laughs> welcome to the show. Thank you. 
Uh, it is so good to have you here, and I think for, for many of my viewers, I have to situate you and who you are, because it's a little bit crazy. You are a four-time Formula One world champion. Uh, Formula One is one of the biggest sports in the world. You're a race car driver, but oftentimes when I have to explain it to people, they go like, Formula One, they go like, what is that? What is it? Yeah. yeah, and I go like, it's NASCAR, but they turn the other way. <laughs> and, like, is, is it strange for you? Is it a bit surreal being in a position where you are in a sport that genuinely is hundreds of millions of people watch this around the world? But in America, there's many people who have no clue what you do. Uh, I wouldn't say it's strange. I think, you know, here the people grow up and the drivers grow up to do NASCAR or IndyCar. Right. So um, just like it's in the NFL, for example, here you have, that's ours is soccer right. in England. So, um, and then we only have one race here and we've not had a race here for, for many, many years. Um, there was a gap we had to think up until 2007. It was Indianapolis and then not till 2012. So, it, but it's growing here. But yeah, I'm educating. Every time I meet someone, I'm telling them something new. And particularly um, when I talk about like the weight that I lose, they're like, wow. How much I'm, weight do you lose? Because people like, don't know. Well, the most I've ever lost in the race is 10 and a half pounds in an hour and 45 minutes. And that was like Malaysia and Singapore. Right. And so every, every time I tell that to an American, they're like, wow, I need to be a racing driver. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think one of the reasons F1 is growing in America is because of your presence. You, you're not a regular racing driver that's only on the track. You're out and about. Um, people love your story. So what, what I think a lot of people have been um, really attracted to when it comes to your story is the journey that you are on. So, I mean, you grew up in a sport that is really reserved for very rich people, yeah. right? But you did not grow up rich at all, no. and your dad made your career possible. Like, how did that all begin? How hard was that journey getting into F1? Uh, it, was, it was incredible. I mean, I, I grew up on my dad's uh, couch and in a normal council estate. Uh, and it was a weekend hobby for me and my dad. We kind of stumbled across it. We started racing RC cars when I was four. Right. And he thought I had really good hand-to-eye coordination, so he bought me a go-kart. It was really old from a newspaper. And we arrived at the, at the track for the first time. We were not welcome. We were the only, first, the only black people there. Right. And, um, you know, and it was very, very expensive. So my dad had four jobs just to keep us going. He was... Uh, going to London, doing his normal uh, job, which was IT at a railroad, railroad station. And then he would come home, he'd be putting up for sales signs, vending machines, anything he could find, a little bit of cash to, because it's so expensive. Right. Uh, but I was lucky I got signed when I was 13, so that's really... But the goal and my dream started when I was five, was to be like Ayrton Senna, which you know right, right, very right. much about. And, um, and kind of, we never lost sight of that. But my dad, what my dad didn't want, to, want us to do is to struggle as he did. He's from Grenada came to London and, you know, struggled really, um, finding money, finding a good job. And he also, my brother's disabled, so he's like, I don't want my, my kids to struggle like I have. So he worked to the bone to create an opportunity for us. Right, the two of you were a team. I mean, you've got your dad teaching you how to race cars. You get signed at 13, and that's really the beginning of the journey because many people have said in the world that F1 is the pinnacle of driving. I mean, these are the fastest cars in the world. You know, this is zero to 60, and what is it now? Is it a second now? What, what are you no, at now? What is it, still, two? What is that? It's still like two. Oh, still two. two. Of course, I'm sorry. Still two <laughs> seconds. Zero to 60 in two seconds. <laughs> you, you, you have this machine that you are controlling, and you are driving against the fastest drivers in the world. You went from nothing to being a four-time world champion. Every single day is a challenge for you, and now you're going to be racing in Austin in America, and you could win your fifth world championship which, which is record-breaking on so many levels. Do you sometimes take a moment to pause and go like, this is, this is surreal? Oh, every day. I'm, you know, I get to travel the world. I get to see and meet so many different pe people. And um, 
racing the Formula One car is just the greatest thing, man. Uh, I remember from the first day that I got to drive a Formula One car in two, it was 2006. Um, and when I entered Formula One when I was 22, I'm 33 now. And my goal was always to emulate this, this older, you know, legendary driver who was a Brazilian who died in the sport because it is a dangerous sport. And he was three-time world champion, as you know. Right. And so two years ago, I, I equaled him, um, which was kind of just an incredible moment for, for me. And then since then, I've kind of been trying to carry on the baton from him because, as I said, he was the guy I always wanted to be. Right. And you, you, you're still the only black F1 driver. And it's always surreal and interesting because, like, when the camera goes, you know, down the paddock, they'll show, like, all the drivers, all the drivers. And just generally, I mean, like, F1 in many ways is sort of like equestrian sports. You can see what a person looks like when they're in it. You're like, yeah, 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 you, <laughs> you, do, you ride the horses, you ride the horses. You ride. Like, everyone's got that look. And then it gets to you and it's like, uh, I'm sorry, sir, how did you get in here? <laughs> like, and a lot of people complained about that initially. They were like, is he bringing hip-hop to the sport? I know. <laughs> is he bringing, is he going to put, like, a sound system on his car? Is that what's happening here? That's exactly how but, it like, is. You've, you've shown that you can still be yourself and be a professional racing driver at the same time. Has that been an important journey for you? It really has, and it's been really difficult to break that mold. You know, they, they, uh, there was this saying that you have to, this is what a racing driver does, this is how they look, and this is how they talk. And right. To break that mold has taken a long time. I've been, as a, I've been here now, it's my 11th season. Um, but I think in today's world, you have to transcend, you have to do something different. You have to, uh, show your uniqueness right. and, um, and not shy away from that. And that's really something that I've really worked hard on. Um, and now it's accepted when I do all this traveling, which is a lot more than any other racer ever does. Right. And then they're like, oh, he's going to be distracted. And I turn up and I win. And then they're, they're oh, well, that was good for them. <laughs> so. uh, w- one of the things that's, that's really fascinating is that difference that you bring, right? The way you dress has been one of the key things. You, you're always in the magazines for, for your fashion sense. And now you've taken that to the next level. You've teamed up with Tommy Hilfiger. Right, and I think it's the, the the thing is Tommy X Lewis, which I say is Tommy, Tommy by Lewis, Lewis yeah. but this is Tommy X Lewis, and I feel like we need to get this sorted out because like <laughs> iPhone says it's not X, it's ten, and then you guys say it's not by, it's X, and then yeah. like like we got to agree on yeah, what this is. is, but the fashion itself is being really well received. You had a show in China, yep. which was phenomenal. Like you had everyone from Gigi Hadid there. You 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 have the world now looking to your clothing, and they're going like you're a fashion designer. How do you go from racing cars to designing clothes? Like, they don't... Because, like, racing drivers are very, like, very, like, yes, we turn, then we drive, then we go straight, then we come back. (laughs) That's a racing driver. And then you're like, yeah, like, the shapes and everything? Like, (laughs) where did that come from? Honestly, it's been an incredible experience. I met Tommy here in New York, um, like, five years ago. And every time I saw him, he was like, I love how you're dressing. We should do something together. And I I, I was like, no way. Tommy wants to do something with me. I, I didn't truly believe what he was saying, but... I've had the same thing. I, I had H and M say, like, yo, you dress really well. <laughs> so, I mean, we're both, we're both in the same boat. But, yeah, yeah, carry on. That's how we roll. That's how we roll. So, yeah, so Tommy Hilfiger says he likes how you dress. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, obviously, the, the, the partnership came up, and I was able to bring them to the team, so another team sponsor, and, uh, and the opportunity to design uh, my own clothing collection. So, uh, I really took it on as a an internship, really, because I get to learn from an icon like Tommy. Mm -hmm. Um, And I did a lot of homework. I had been going to a lot of fashion shows as well. Fashion is just something I've always been into. And also just discovering the looks that I like and discovering how I want to feel, how I want to dress and express myself. Right. So, um, and it's going really well. It's sold out in, when I was in Tokyo, it sold out there. I think in the States for the first uh, couple or few weeks it came out, it was a large, like 77% of sales, men's sales was my collection. So it's That's amazing. Yeah. 
you also have uh, really been advocating for, and you, you implemented it in having models who are diverse. You Like when I saw the runway show, it was everyone who looked like everyone. It was, yeah. it was really beautiful and different to see on a runway. And that wasn't a mistake. No, absolutely. So I, I like to get involved in everything and I micromanage everything. So, um, so I you know what music we're gonna play. So I did the music, the playlist for the show. Right. When we had, the, it is men, the men's show. So um, it was just going to be men. And I was like, I really want it to be mixed. I do want women to walk and dress in these clothes. Cause you know, today's world, Women do wear men's clothes, right? And I think diversity and, and, and inclusivity is every is such an important thing message to get across today, and so that's what I wanted to do with my clothing. It's fantastic, man! Congratulations on everything you're doing. It's starting for the race. The Formula One U.S. Grand Prix in Austin will take place on October 21st, and the Tommy X Lewis collection is available now. Lewis Hamilton, everybody. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, ears edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.